Go ahead and let me know. You ready? Oh, good. Okay. That was quick. That's going to look like a funny beginning. So, uh, hello and welcome. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> and I don't edit those things either. That's how it's going to be. Wait till you. Now everyone will go. You want to go see that. All right. And we're glad you're with us. We, uh, we normally on our evening uh, midweek meeting work through the Bible together a chapter at a time and we would continue to do that. We'll pick it up again next week. But I thought because of this being sort of Holy Week and all that it means, I wanted to do something just a little bit different today. And so we'll, uh, we'll pick up the book of Acts again next week. I have a, a different, different topic for you for this evening. And uh, if you picked up a bullet and you will know that this, uh, this topic is the royal wedding. The royal wedding. Now, um, it seems to me, and I don't turn on the news very often, but when I do, all that's talked about is William and Kate. It seems to have taken preference over every other major thing happening in the world around it. I mean, there's some major stuff going on right now, and yet the lead story, as far as I can tell, is Will and Kate's wedding. And I'm, I'm uh, well, I'll try and explain how I feel about that. But I want to do it in a very kind way, um, because it seems like a lot of people have gotten royal fever. Now, either people really have this, or for whatever reason, the media people are trying to make people have this. I'm not sure which is which. But, um, you know, from, from my perspective, let me tell you that my family immigrated here from England just before I was born. So I am a first-generation American. I was born here in 1960 in Nebraska. My family, my mother, father, and sister moved here from England in 1959. So um, I was the first one born here. So I, I have a very, very English roots. And, uh, and, and yet I think there's probably something wrong with me because I just can't get excited about William and Kate getting married. Um, I, I mean, it's... See, the thing is, I don't know them personally, and, and ultimately I don't see how it has any impact kind of on my day-to-day my -day life. And while I think it's great that people get married, you know, I'm, I'm all for it, um, I just don't get how their marriage is so much better than all the other people that are going to get married that same day that I don't know anything about. Um, and so I dwell on that a little bit. Now, let me say this, too. I in no way, if you, if you are into it, God bless you. I'm not judging you. And, and if you're excited... Be excited. I, I think it's a cool thing. I'm just trying to tell you where I'm coming from. I just, I don't get it. Because I, you know, I, I hear, at least on the news, they're telling me people are taking time off of work, and uh, they're organizing these big parties, and, you know, they're, it's, they're making sure it's recorded because it's going to be 12 hours off, and it happens in the morning, but some people are staying up. I, that's, I think that is so cool. You got the app? Good for you. There's an app for that. Great. But I just don't get it. I just, I don't, I just don't care. And I, I, I know maybe there's something wrong with me, because I'm not like, yeah. My, I, anyway, I, I don't want to go on and on. But um, with that in mind, though, the whole royal wedding thing, what I did want to talk about today is I want to talk about another royal wedding, and this is one that does get me very excited. And this is the wedding of Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. Now, that's a royal wedding that I can get pretty excited about. And with the events of this week, um, I, I want to I show you how it all ties together. 
and, and the promise of, of the wedding, the proposal that we were given and accepted, and the fact that a, a wedding is, is coming at any point in time. And uh, it's the, the real royal wedding, and it's the one that I get excited about. And so I want to talk about that um, with you tonight in the few minutes that we have. Um, so we're doing things a little different. And again, I, I, if I, I didn't mean, if I diminished any of your joy over the royal wedding, I apologize. And I want to release you to go and have as much fun as you need to have with that whole thing, okay? I mean that. You Do it. But just don't tell me. <laughs> I, I don't care. I know it's me. There's something wrong with me. I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> okay. Now, um, this week, the, the run-up to, to Easter, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection of our Lord, I included in it the Passover. Um, and in particular, a Passover that we know as the Last Supper. And it was at this Last Supper a Passover celebration that Jesus, the bridegroom, proposes to his bride, the church. And, and every time that we partake of communion, we're remembering this fact, that, that we're his bride, that he's the bridegroom, and that we're saying yes every time. It's part of the process of what happened in the Passover meal. And... Uh, let me, let me talk about it a little bit to see how it all happens. Passover was a, a feast that was celebrated by the people uh, every year of Israel, still is, as a reminder of what took place when they were set free from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And this reminder was in the form of a meal, which had a lot of very important symbols Involved And these symbols had a couple of purposes. One was to help the people of God remember how he had delivered them from slavery and how God used Moses and a series of plagues to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Uh, Pharaoh was stubborn, extremely stubborn, and it took ten plagues to make it happen before he finally released Israel. The tenth plague was the, um, the death, uh, death of the firstborn, and Israel escaped this plague by sacrificing a perfect lamb, taking the blood of the lamb and, and wiping it over the doorpost of the homes that they were in as they were instructed by God. And when the angel of death came and saw the blood, on the lamb of, uh, the blood of the lamb on those doorposts, he passed over and the firstborn of Israel was spared. That's, that's what happened at Passover. And so this... Uh, feast that was celebrated every year was a reminder of, of how God had done that for them. Death passed over their homes and they were safe. <clears throat> the other purpose of this feast, as with all of the feasts that the people of Israel celebrate, um, were to give them hints of, about the Messiah so that when the Messiah came they would know him because they had been celebrating these feasts that pointed to him all along. And this is true, there's seven feasts that we've talked about, Passover being one of them, um, first fruits being another one, and, and uh, uh, the, the bread being another one. Each one of these, unleavened bread, those three Jesus fulfills in this week, and then Pentecost is the fourth one. He fulfills that uh, 50 days later, and we've been studying about that in Acts. The last three feasts are waiting to be fulfilled. We're in the summer harvest, 
But that's the process, okay? That's, so he, he fulfills all these feasts perfectly and prophetically. But in this one, in the Passover, this whole proposal takes place. And, and, and to get us there, first I want to talk about the two symbols that we have taken out of that Passover meal that we now call communion. And, and um, those are the unleavened bread and the cup of wine. And those are the two symbols that, that I want to touch on today. And these were taken right out of the Passover meal. When we take communion, you're just, you're, every time you do, you're celebrating a part of that Passover supper. You're remembering this whole thing that takes place. All right. The first thing I want to talk about is the significance of the bread, which is his body. Uh, when Jesus took the unleavened bread... He said, take and eat, this is my body. John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, this, this bread is symbolic of the body of Christ broken for us. And, and this is what we do at communion, and it's what we remember. Now, there's something about this, too, that's very cool. Uh, and if you've seen me do it before, you know it's coming. If you haven't. It'll be, it, I think it's always a neat thing. In the Passover meal, um, this, this device that I have up here, that I always have up here, I have several of these that people bring me, bring me from Israel because that's what I always ask for. It's called a matzah tosh. And, and uh, it's been part of the Passover meal for as long as they've recorded Passover meals. And it's interesting, it's, it's got three compartments in it. And um, in each compartment, there was a piece of unleavened bread. And at the point of the meal that we always talk about and take communion from, the piece of bread was taken out of that middle section. And, and this is the one that was broken, okay? And, and then shared. Now, whenever you see threes, you need to think. And it's very symbolic of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one that comes out is the one in the middle, the Son. The body is broken, okay? Now... What they did, which is very cool in this process, is they would take a half, and, and half of it they, they shared. They would take the other half, and they would wrap it in a white linen. And this half was called the afikomen. And they would take the afikomen, and they would have the children leave the room, and then they would hide it. They would hide this somewhere in the room. And then they'd bring the kids in, and the kids would hunt for it. Sound like an Easter egg hunt, doesn't it? And uh, the kids would come in and find it, and whoever found the afikomen got a prize. It was a big deal. So you say, so what? Well, okay. Who do you know that was broken and wrapped in white linen and hidden? And when you find him, you get the best prize there is. Eternal life. All of this, all this stuff is happening in these meals all the time. So that when people saw it, they went, oh, I've seen that before. I get it. Jesus is the prize. The afikomen wrapped in white linen placed in a tomb, hidden away. But when you find him, you get a prize. So all that's happening in this meal with the bread in the way that we celebrate. And you'll see when we celebrate communion here, we always take that middle piece. That's the one that we break every time we celebrate communion. Okay. Now, the cups, <clears throat> which are his blood, um, they have different meanings in this meal. The bottle of water was not on the table at the time. That's an addition in the, in the later church. <laughs> Very much later. <clears throat> because 
And, and here's how these cups play out in the Passover meal. This first cup is, is poured and shared, and it's called the cup of sanctification. And you'll hear me say that every time we take communion. And uh, in this cup, what God is, is basically saying to his people is, I will bring you out, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of darkness, out of death. It's a cup of sanctification. And that's what they remembered in the process. And along with that cup would begin part of the story of the history of the people of Israel, which is woven through the Passover meal. The second cup is the cup of plagues. It was poured and celebrated. And with this cup, the leader of the Passover service re recounts the entire sort of redemption story. It's known as the telling. And, and uh, it, it, uncovers, it, it encompasses the entire redemption drama from the patriarchs to Mosaic to, to Pharaoh to the plagues and ultimately deliverance from Egypt. That's what happens in that cup. The third cup, and you'll see me do this if you're here every week when we do communion, that's called the cup of redemption. And it's with this cup that, that we sort of have communion instituted for more. But there's more to the story. And in first century Galilee, when it was time for a man and a, a woman to marry, um, this is how the, the thing would go. <clears throat> The, 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 either there was a negotiation between both sets of fathers, um, and, and both of these would end the same way. There were, if there were fathers involved, they would get together and they would negotiate what's called a bride price. A bride price. And the prospective groom family would have to be willing to pay up whatever the bride price was after that had been worked out. And then the groom would take a, a glass and a flask of wine and he would pour uh, a glass of, uh, of wine and he would drink from it himself and he would set it down. The prospective bride would come into the room and she had a say in this because even if something had been negotiated, if she didn't feel like this was the right guy for her, she would have to rest in her intuition and she would, all she would do is walk out of the room without drinking from the cup. But if she took from the cup and drank the one that the guy had drank from, at that point, they were betrothed, they were engaged, they were pretty much considered a done deal. That was it, that was the ceremony. That was saying yes to the proposal, all right? And so, um, that's what Jesus does. He, he takes this cup, he pours it, and he changes the service, and he, he passes it around, and the guys there would have gotten the imagery. And what he's saying is, I will pay the bride price for you. And that's what he pays for all of us at the cross. He took the cup and he said to his disciples in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. These guys would get it and they would get that Jesus was willing to give his life for them. And so in, in using this image, imagery uh, of the, the marriage, Jesus is saying, I will give my life for you. I'll pay this bride price. And, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Um, writing to Corinthians, Paul uses this bridegroom picture as well. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not of your own. You were bought 
at a price. Therefore, honor your God with your body. See, we were, we were bought with a price, and these words were to remind us all that we're basically Jesus' brides to be. And we're waiting for the day when he'll return to take us home. Now, not knowing that day when the grooms would come back for them, the brides would have to be ready all the time so they wouldn't be caught unprepared. And let me, let's talk about that real quick. In Jesus' time, families lived in uh, homes that they called insulas. And what happened was every time um, one of the family got married, they would add some rooms onto that house. So these houses would just continue to grow and get bigger. And so each wing. So there would be in that house grandparents and great-grandparents and whoever, whoever was still around. They would all live. But each time this happened, they would just add on to the home. And so when a young man would go through this process with a young woman and she would say yes, he would have to go and prepare rooms for her, a house for her. And so he would go home. And he would begin the construction on the family home for his bride. Now, because of the way men are, <laughs> God put a fail-safe into this whole process. Because a young man wanting to get married to his wife would generally go home, pitch a tent, say, come on, honey, we're married, and be underway. So there was a stopgap measure, which was the father, because only the father would say when it was time for the young man to go and get the new bride. And so he would wait until the rooms were completed to his satisfaction, and only his satisfaction at that point in time. So he would be the only one who would know when the son could go and go for his bride. You, you probably have, have heard this at some point, because in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Jesus proposed. We accepted. He said, I'm going to go make a place for you. And that's what he's doing now. And we're waiting on what? His return, and what's, what's going to signal the return is the father saying, okay, it's ready, go get him. We're waiting. We're brides-to-be. We're waiting for the return of our groom who's gone to prepare a place for us. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He's going to make a pretty big house. <laughs> and we're waiting for his return. And then, when the groom finally gets permission from the father to go, he would go to the town and blow the shofar. And the, the, the bride would hear it, and she'd be ready, and she'd go running off, and that would start the feast. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the, we will be with the Lord forever. See the process taking place? This is, this is all imagery that would have been very uh, customary to the people of the time and what was going on. All right. That leaves me with this cup. And, and I always leave this cup empty. In the Passover meal, they would celebrate this cup. The, the uh, people of Israel still, it has to do with John the Baptist and some other stuff going on. I leave it empty. I call this the wedding feast cup. This is the wedding feast cup. If you, if you were following along in there, it's sanctification, plagues, redemption, and the wedding feast cup. And I call it that for this. This one stays empty. Because Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Revelation 19, 7 through 9, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. This one, we celebrate with Jesus when he comes back for us. And that's the one that we're waiting on. These are reminders. How he, how he called us out, set us apart from darkness to make us holy. All that he did to get us there in the process and all that he went to. And then he proposes. And we accept. And that's the cup that we're still on. And every time we partake of communion, we're saying yes to Jesus. Once again. We're remembering everything he did. The price he paid. That we were bought with a price. That he's coming back for us soon. And when he does, we'll celebrate that one. But for now, we're celebrating this one. So Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And we're to wisely prepare for his return. And we do that keeping our eyes focused on him and doing the next right thing. So, I'm going to do this. We're going to take, we've got five minutes. And uh, I got communion prepared for tonight. And I'm going to put it over there on the table. This is his body, broken for you. Take and eat. Remembrance of me, Jesus said. And this is his blood, poured out for you. Drink this, in remembrance of me. So tonight, those of you that feel led, we'll take the next few minutes just quietly, as the Lord leads. If you would like to go and take communion, it's over there, and take this time tonight to say yes to the Lord once again, and to just love on him a little bit, then you can do that. I'm supposed to get Douglas back here to play a little music, but I think I lost him. So uh, I'll go up there and do that. Oh, here he comes. So um, just as the Lord leads, and, and let's just take five minutes as you feel led, why don't you go and partake of communion, and, uh, and then we'll call it uh, a night here in a few minutes. Probably muted all the channels, so just grab the guitar and play it acoustically. Just come down here with it.
Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are, for all that you've done, as we remember you and what you've done this weekend, God. As we, as we remember the cross and how amazing it is that you endured it for us, suffered it for us, took on our sin, paid the price, that you, you paid the bride price for us. And Lord, we, we celebrate on this side because we know that you defeated death, that you rose again. And then in that process, you made a way for us to have life with you forever. And we eagerly await your return, Lord Jesus, at trumpet sound to join with you forever and ever as your bride. And Lord, help us to be ready, prepared, and doing all that you've called us to do in this process. And we love you so much. And we thank you. And we say, yes, Lord. Again, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. To the amazing proposal. And we long for the royal wedding of all royal weddings. So, Lord, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming. If you have prayer requests, just bring them up. I'll pray for them this week. We won't do it out loud. But may the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. Go tonight in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thanks for coming. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Oh, and if you're interested in bocce ball, 4 o'clock Saturday out at the park.